My dearest sister, I don't know if you will ever receive these letters I write, but the nightly task has kept me sane for so long I cannot stop. You would not recognize me, Margaret. I have endured cold, famine, thirst, and want of sleep. I have aged from the fresh-faced boy who left England so long ago. My men respect me, but a captain of a ship can never have friends, and so I suffer alone with my daydreams and fears. They have become fervent and vivid through want of expression. My destination is the seat of frost and desolation, I know, and yet it presents itself to my imagination as a region of beauty and delight. Oh, Margaret, you may think me mad, but out here on the edge of the known world, there is something at work inside me. There is something at work in my soul that I do not understand. Come. I'm sorry to disturb you, sir. Strange events have taken place over the last few days that I can barely bring myself to document. What is it? The lieutenant sent me, sir. I'm busy. Ice, sir. Spotted from the forecastle deck and the main topmast. Telescope, Lieutenant. Our passage ahead is blocked. And we shall sail around it. Impossible, sir. It has closed us in on all sides. Stern, bow, port and starboard. When a passage opens, we shall continue north. Tell the men to hold their nerve. Captain! There's a sighting port side! Look, sir. Dark shape moving off a mile in. Yes. I see it. It is a man, Captain. Running across the ice. Impossible. Hundreds of miles from the land. Look at the size of him. It's a trick of the light. We are deceived. It is an apparition. They were uneasy and crossed themselves. A strange figure disappeared into the white, cold world to the north and left us alone in the wasteland once again. We must keep a check on the men's superstitions and not refer to this incident again, Lieutenant. I could not agree more, sir. That night, I had strange dreams and I awoke to the low moaning of the ice breaking beneath the wooden keel. Thank you, God. You have delivered us. Oh, what's this? What's happening here? Half my men were leaning over the port side main deck, so occupied they did not hear me. The night was still, and a universe of stars shone down on us. Someone speak to me. A man, sir. Half dead. He's drifted on an ice sheet out of the darkness. I looked overboard with them and saw a sledge with a haggard figure on board. The dogs lay dead around him. He was emaciated with fatigue and suffering. He did not move, but his eyes burnt with a passion. He won't come aboard. Who are you, sir? My name is Victor Frankenstein. You're on the brink of death, Mr. Frankenstein. You must come aboard. I travel alone. You don't understand. We are your only hope of survival. You cannot save me. Deprivations have made him lose his mind, Captain. Where are you headed? I am headed to hell. I see. Well, I'm headed to the North Pole. Perhaps it's on your way. If you are headed north, then I shall come aboard. Help him up. Help him up. Bring brandy and monkeys. Place him by the galley stove. 
He was suffering a raging fever. Afraid we would lose him, I had him taken to my cabin instead. After many hours of rest, he was recovered enough to speak a little. What is this place? You're in my cabin. You were but moments from death when we found you. Well, my dogs died one by one. And yet you lived, which is a miracle. Why have you come so far upon the ice, Mr. Frankenstein? To seek one who fled from me. Who? A demon. You are still with fever, I believe. You are frightened. You've seen him. I've seen no demons. Tell me. We saw a figure the day before we found you. Where? Headed north. He disappeared. We've not seen him since. I must be on deck to watch for oh, him. You are too ill to stand. I have to end this nightmare. Why do you talk this way? What has happened to you? He fell silent. He had a noble face that must once have been handsome before it was ravaged by misery. Alone as I had been in spirit for so many years, I dearly wished to be his friend. What is your name? Robert. Robert Walton. And you are the captain of this ship? Yes. I'm charting the unknown regions. Talk to me, Captain Walton. I fear if I sleep now, I will never awake. I began to talk about my expedition. I told him everything. I gave utterance to the burning ardor of my soul. The sympathy in his eyes kept me talking long into the night. He never interrupted and listened attentively throughout, but when I had finished, a dark gloom spread across his features. You believe one man's life or death is a small price to pay for the acquirement of knowledge? Of course. You do not know of what you speak. You're an educated man like myself. I'm sure you agree that it's only through our dominion over the natural world that we can further our race. So you share my madness? I don't understand your meaning. Have you too drunk the intoxicating draught? Hear me. Let me reveal my tale. And you will dash the cup from your lips. Please, Mr. Frankenstein, you must not excite yourself. Your health is fragile. My health is of no importance. Soon I will die and rest at last. I have suffered great and unparalleled misfortunes, and I cannot bear to think of you continuing in your foolishness. You think you can change my mind on my life's work, sir? I must try. Then tell me. Tell me what it is you have to say. Mine is a story that is strange and harrowing. I have suffered a storm so frightful. It has wrecked my very soul. Listen, Robert. Listen, or be damned as I am. There was a time, many years ago, when I was happy. I was raised in Geneva with my adopted sister, Elizabeth. She was my pride and my delight, my more than sister. Victor? Since till death, she was to be mine only. Henry has come to see us. And Henry Clerval, my tender-hearted best friend. Shall we go for a walk by the lake? I'm studying. Oh, but it's a glorious day. Justine and William are coming too. Justine. A young ward of my parents also lived with us. And at the centre of this large, happy family was my infant brother, William. He was no more than a toddler and was cherished by all. I'm busy. The sun will have to wait. Natural philosophy was my passion. I devoured the works of Cornelius Agrippa, Paracelsus, and Albertus Magnus. The wild fancies of these long-dead alchemists, magicians, and cabalists captured my adolescent heart. 
I let no one and nothing come in the way of my studies. You work so hard, Victor. One day you'll be a very rich man. I'm not interested in wealth. <sighs> that is an inferior object. I am interested in discovering the elixir of life. <laughs> there is no such thing. I will find it, Elizabeth, and I will banish disease from the human frame and render man invulnerable. You are indeed brave and brilliant. Now, put down your books and come out with us. Come on. <laughs> My childhood came to a brutal end on a close and stifling night at the end of August. I had left my sweltering bedchamber to take some air in our large gardens. It was a relief to feel the rain on my skin, and I lay still looking up at the sky as the downpour drenched me. The heavens are alive, Elizabeth. I've never seen a storm like it. The heavens are furious. It is dangerous to be here. Then lie down next to me. No. So you do not conduct a lightning strike. You should not be standing in the open. Then I will lie down because it is safer. <laughs> the air is jumping with pure electricity. I can feel it on my skin. <laughs> The little hairs on your arm are standing on end. And so are yours. If we touch fingertips, what will happen? Let us discover. No, God will strike us down for our impertinence. Oh! Back to the house! Oh! The lightning had hit the huge old oak tree in the garden. As the rain dampened the flames. We saw that nothing remained but a blasted stump. I had never beheld anything so destroyed. Oh, you're safe under the porch. You were right. I hate you, Victor. <laughs> you nearly killed me. We're still alive. I, and I am telling you, I hate you. I watched Elizabeth. She looked more beautiful than I had ever noticed before. No, you don't. No, I don't. My darling, I must return to my room, and you to yours. Yes. In my excitement, I did not see that storm for what it was—an omen. But Elizabeth, always so much more sensitive to the meanings of things than I, was disturbed by it. Somehow she felt the darkness it foretold, even though she could not name it. In the quiet hours of the next morning, that darkness arrived early and without warning. Help me! It awoke me from my innocent slumber. Someone, please help me, Victor! What? What's going on? Father, what has happened? Your mother is sick. You must ride for the doctor immediately. I will get dressed. There's no time. Go in your bedclothes. She can't be so ill. She was well yesterday. Please, evening. just go. I rode out with just a cloak over my bedclothes and returned with the doctor. Soon after the sun had risen, we were all sitting at my mother's bedside. She looked pale and her breathing was light. Then the doctor named the darkness. I'm afraid your wife has scarlet fever. Oh my love! But you can make a well. I fear not. Her temperature is very high. You must fight this, Victor. Calm down. I'm sorry, but there is little I can do. I will not permit you to let my mother die. Only the Almighty can save her now. It is beyond the power of any man. No, no. There must be something you can do. Sir, quiet yourself. Mother, I'm sorry. Elizabeth. I am here, Aunt. My children. I will be gone from this earth soon. No, no. I need you to hear what I have to say. We are listening, Mother. I have known since you joined our family as an infant, Elizabeth, that the two of you are soulmates. Join hands. There. I wish the two of you to be married. Yes, Aunt. And you must look after Baby William, as if he is your own child. He is my darling boy, and does not deserve to lose his mother so young. 
I shall do so. You will be happy. I know you will be happy. She died calmly that night. I was thrown into the irreparable evil that is grief. I was of no use to my father or to Elizabeth. They valiantly attempted to hide their own feelings in order to care for a devastated William, who spent his waking hours searching for his mother. I spent many days out of the house, walking with Henry Clerval to escape from the pain. The days turned to months, and still my mood did not lift. Victor! Victor! Slow down! And rest a while. I've not stopped walking since daybreak. I'm not tired. But I am tired, and my feet hurt. Then we will stop. Oh, thank you. I'm thoughtless. Forgive me. You're not, you're not thoughtless. You're unhappy. <clears throat> have to leave this place, Henry. I know. And to make anything of my life, I must go to university. It is what you've always wanted. How can I go? Can't leave Elizabeth now. What use are you to her at present? You will come back to her a better man. A man with a career in the sciences. A man in a position to marry. You could come with me. Maybe if I had a friend with me, it could help. You know my father. He's so narrow-minded, he thinks education is for the idle. Persuade him otherwise. My fate is decided. I am to be chained for the rest of my life to the miserable details of commerce. But you have so many talents. I was not blessed with your liberal and supportive upbringing, Victor. I have been blessed. You're right. You're a lucky man. You have Elizabeth. You have a father who adores you. You have the opportunity to follow your passions. You must not waste it. Promise me you won't, Victor. We spent the rest of the day sitting on a steep slope overlooking the beautiful lake. It was a scene I had gazed upon many times in my childhood, but that day I drank in the sight. I knew I would need the memory of it to comfort me in the days to come. Good luck, my boy. You'll be a success, I'm sure of it. I'll do my best, father. Send word as soon as you've secured lodgings. I promise. Now, don't look so worried. You've been an exceptional student. Ingolstadt will not have seen your like before. Write to me, won't you? Of course. There will be many pretty girls in the city. I shall have eyes only for my textbooks. <laughs> you should be going, my boy. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye, Elizabeth. Goodbye, Victor. I could not bear to look back at Elizabeth's face as the carriage pulled away, in case my resolve was weakened. I was alone now. I must from this point on be strong, be my own protector and form my own friendships. My only comfort was that I was going to one of the great seats of learning of our world. The acquisition of knowledge was my most ardent desire. This was to be a new beginning. Welcome to the Department of the Natural Sciences at Ingolstadt University. My name is Waldman, Professor of Chemistry, and I am here to guide you through the foothills of scientific knowledge. You are among the brightest young minds in Europe. If you were not, then you would not be here in this lecture hall today. I sat alone at the very back of the hall. Enraptured. You are about to begin a journey, one that will take more than your lifetime to complete. Others who have undertaken this journey have discovered how the blood circulates and the composition of the air that we breathe. Chord after chord was sounded. They have acquired almost limitless power. And my mind was filled with new purpose. They have commanded the thunder, mimicked the earthquake, and even mocked the invisible world with its own shadows. Gentlemen, I give you the modern sciences. Thank you for seeing me, sir. I am delighted to meet you. Your lecture was very inspiring. That is a good start, Herr Frankenstein. So, tell me, 
How are you adapting to life as a scholar? I am utterly devoted to it. And what is the extent of your ambition? Ultimately, I intend to unfold to the world the deepest mysteries of creation. <laughs> you like a challenge. However, your lecture today has entirely changed my approach. In what way? My interest in science was inspired by ancient masters, such as Cornelius Agrippa and Paracelsus, men who sought immortality, <laughs> men with grand visions. Until I heard you speak, I regarded the most modern scientists as pygmies by comparison. Oh, dear. Have you really spent your time studying such nonsense? You do not approve. Those ideas are a thousand years old. They are exploded systems. Metals cannot be transmuted, and there is no elixir of life. I've disappointed you. No, no. Don't be downhearted, my boy. You are right that those pioneers you speak of dug the foundations on which we now build the world. The labours of men of genius, even when completely misdirected, rarely fail to be to the advantage of mankind. I'll be most grateful if you would advise me as to which books I ought to procure. I shall do that and more. Would you like to see my laboratory? Very much. Come this way. I admire your enthusiasm. And your letters of recommendation make it clear that you have tremendous ability. If you can match that with total dedication, you will go far. Perhaps you will even get close to achieving your lofty ambitions. I shall start my journey by following you. <laughs> I am happy to have a disciple. Let me introduce you to the world of chemistry. I've never seen a sight like this in my life. Brass scales, glass retorts, jars, cylinders, tubes and flasks lined the shelves. Iron presses and mechanical instruments covered the long wooden counter. A furnace burned nearby. You will learn the equipment very quickly. What is this? It is an instrument for measuring the solubility or concentration of absorbing constituents of gases or liquids. That's wonderful. <laughs> Professor Waldman, I would like my own laboratory. I have a large workshop space in the attic above my rooms. I will gladly help you establish one. I will start immediately. From that day on, natural philosophy, and chemistry in particular, became my sole occupation. In Waldman, I found a true friend who smoothed the path of knowledge for me. I became so ardent that the stars often disappeared in the light of the morning whilst I was yet engaged. Two years passed in this manner. I gave my heart and soul to the pursuit of new discoveries. I am ashamed to say that I paid not one visit to my loved ones back in Geneva. Wait a moment. Is something wrong? I have seen little of you these last few months. <laughs> I've been working very hard. Yes, and your progress continues to be remarkable. A student is only as good as the professors who teach him. If only that were true, you will soon surpass me. The name of Frankenstein is known at the Sorbonne and in Cambridge. I think that it is now time that Ingolstadt gave you to the world. I am not ready to go at present, sir. <laughs> Do not limit yourself, Victor. You are destined for greatness. I am engaged on some research that I would be loath to abandon. Tell me more. I would rather not say at this moment. If the experiment is already in progress, then leave it to one of the undergraduates to manage. This is not something I would entrust to an undergraduate. There is no logic in exhausting yourself. I have to go. Victor! Did you not hear me? I think you are working too hard. I must return to my studies, Professor. What was your research? I shall never tell another living soul. For what reason? Learned from my example. The acquirement of knowledge is a mortally dangerous thing. How is mankind to progress without it? It is possible to know too much. I am the living proof of that hypothesis. I have to disagree. I think you're a remarkable man. I'm in awe of you. No, Robert. What is wrong? You are so mistaken. Then make me understand you, Mr. Frankenstein. What happened to you? My continual thirst for discovery placed an incredible power within my hands. What exactly was that power? You wish me to say it? Yes. I became capable of bestowing animation upon lifeless matter. What do you mean? 
I discovered the secret of creation. You could create life in a laboratory? It's impossible. I speak the truth. How did you do it? Be content with your ignorance. Allow me a glimpse, at least. I began with a question. Whence do the principles of life proceed? I concluded that to examine the causes of life, we must first have recourse to death. So I began observing and recording the natural decay and corruption of the human body post-mortem. I watched time and again the fine form of man degraded and wasted. I saw how the worm inherited the wonders of the eye and brain. It was from the midst of the darkness of the grave that the light broke in upon me. The light of creation. I will give you no more detail. I refuse to lead you on to destruction and misery. And what did you do with this knowledge? What would you have done in my position? Publish the findings. Make a name for myself. Change the world. I took the contrary view. I guarded the secret jealously as mine and mine alone. I tortured rats and dogs as I removed and reattached their tissues. I brought frogs and snakes back from the dead. An idea was taking shape in my fevered mind which bore me onwards like a hurricane. A magnificent and terrible idea. What was it? I would create a human being. No. And in time, a new species of man. They would be happy and perfect creatures and bring light to this dark world. They would bless me as their creator. No father in history could claim the gratitude of his child, as I should deserve theirs. Under the cover of darkness, I began the grisly task of collecting my materials. of my secret toil. I and the moon, gazing down on my midnight labors. I dabbled among the unhallowed damps of the grave. The dissecting room and the slaughterhouse furnished many of my requirements, fibers, muscles, veins, and fluids. I collected bones from charnel houses and disturbed with profane fingers the tremendous secrets of the human frame. At the top of the house, in a solitary cell, I kept my workshop of filthy creation. Winter, spring, and summer passed, but I was engrossed in my occupation, and the leaves of that year withered as my work drew towards its conclusion. Victor! Are you in there? Give me some signal that you are alive, or I will be forced to break the door down! What has happened to you? I am alive, Professor. Good day to you. Don't close the door on me. Are you ill? I am working. Your eyes are starting from their sockets. The result of a long night of observation. Many nights, I would suggest. No one has seen you, Victor, for months. You recommended total dedication to me. Behold your creation. Whatever you are working on, you must step back. It is leading you to the precipice. We shall see. Victor! No, no closer. No one may enter here. 
This labor is killing you. Good day, Professor. Victor! Victor! It was on that dreary night of November that I beheld the accomplishment of my toils. I collected the instruments of life around me that I might infuse a spark of being into that lifeless thing that lay at my feet. I had made him of gigantic stature, about eight feet in height. His limbs were in proportion, and I had selected his features as beautiful. I had worked hard for two years. I had deprived myself of rest and health. But the moment had arrived. The culmination of it all. Now work. I beg you. Work. opened. Oh God, how the beauty of the dream vanished at that moment. A convulsive motion agitated its limbs. Horror and disgust filled my heart. Beautiful. What madness. His yellow skin scarcely covered the work of muscles and arteries beneath. His watery eyes seemed almost the same color as the dun white sockets in which they were set. His shriveled complexion his straight black lips. God help me, what have I done? I could not endure the countenance of the creature I had created. I paced the floor. I did not know what to do. I threw myself onto my bed and wept. My strength left me. Sleep overcame my wasted body for the first time in what seemed like weeks. Asleep disturbed by the wildest dreams. Victor, I have ached for you. Hold me. Elizabeth, I love you. I love you too, Victor. As I imprinted the first kiss upon her lips, they became livid with the hue of death. Her features seemed to change. I love you, Victor. It was the corpse of my dead mother I held in my arms. Do you love me? Grave worms piercing the pallid parchment of her skin. Save me, Victor. <laughs> I awoke. A cold dew covered my forehead. My teeth chattered. The room was dimly lit by the pale yellow light of the moon, forcing its way through the shutters. No. In that light, I beheld the wretch. The miserable monster I had created was gazing down upon me. He was naked, shivering, and unsteady on his feet. I saw that the mud of the grave still stained his crudely stitched together flesh. What do you want from me? Get back! Demon! Get back! I fled into the streets of the city. I kept running without pause, fearing every turn would present the hideous brute to my view. My heart palpitated with sickness. At length, the morning dawned. Dismal and wet. The rain drenched me, yet still I felt impelled to hurry on. I arrived at an inn. It was familiar from years before, but I could not place it. Then I remembered. It was the inn where the carriage from Geneva had dropped me when I had first come to university. Ingolstadt! A light here by Ingolstadt! Thank you. Victor! Is that you? Henry, 
Nigel, it is impossible. Have you forgotten me so quickly? How fortunate you're here just as I arrived. But what is the matter? You look terrible. You tell me this is not a dream. It is a dream in a way. I persuaded my father there is more to human endeavour than the noble art of bookkeeping. I'm enrolled at the university. Words cannot express how glad I am to see you. <laughs> how is my father and Elizabeth? Very well. If a little uneasy that they hear from you so seldom, are you unwell? I'm in the bloom of health. You cannot lie to your oldest friend. You look thin and pale and, forgive me, unkempt. Uh, I've been so engaged with the task lately that I have not allowed myself sufficient rest. Well, I am new here in town. I have nowhere to go. Perhaps I could stay with you for a while until I get myself established. You seem hesitant. No, of course not. You're welcome. <laughs> Shall we go, then? Yes, we should go. Is everything all right, Victor? Absolutely. Follow me. We set off towards my apartments. All the time I reflected that the creature might still be there. I dreaded the thought that Henry should have to behold it. Just a, a moment. There's something I have to do first. Have you got a woman in there, Victor? <laughs> Please, just... Wait here. This, this won't take long. I have a delicate experiment in progress. That's what they call it in Ingolstadt, is it? A, a moment, Henry, please. I stepped in. I moved from room to room, checking the shadows. Where are you, devil? I looked in cupboards and beneath furniture and piles of dirty linen. I opened long, closed curtains in case he lurked behind them. There was no sign of him. Thank you. My enemy, oh my indeed, God. had fled. Thank you. Come in, uh, my friend. All is well. You must be very glad to see the back of that. <laughs> what is that foul stench? Has something died in here? Make yourself at home. Uh, I can set out for breakfast. I'm quite fatigued from my journey. Oh, we must celebrate, celebrate your arrival. Henry Clavel enrolled at the university. We need champagne. Uh, there is an inn not far from here. This is marvellous, absolutely marvellous. Victor, <laughs> do not laugh in that manner. You have a wildness in your eyes. You are ill. No. Leave me alone. What? He's come back. What are you pointing at? Him. Look. There's nothing there, Victor. Nothing but a blank wall. He returns for me. Henry, please, do not let him come close. Of course not. I will keep you safe. Save me. Henry, I beg of you. Save me. Victor? Oh. I was confined for several months. The form of the monster on whom I had bestowed existence was forever before my eyes, and I raved incessantly. During all this time, Henry was my only nurse. His unremitting attentions restored my life. By slow degrees, and with frequent alarming relapses, I began to recover. How are you feeling today, my friend? I much improved, I think. I'm sorry to have been such a burden. I've enjoyed every moment. You make my life interesting, Victor. <laughs> I'm glad I have some news. I have news that will gladden you even more. A letter from Elizabeth. My dearest cousin, you have been ill, very ill. But Henry tells us that every day your health improves. Get well soon and return to us as quickly as may be. You will find a happy, cheerful home and friends who love you. Your father's health is vigorous, and he asks after you every day. Justine has developed into a beautiful young woman. I cannot help but think that finding a husband for her will be an easy task. We spend much of our time together. I must also say a few words about darling William. He is very tall for his age, with sweet laughing eyes and dimples. You would hardly recognise him, he has grown so much. Write to me, Victor. I think of you every day. I am waiting for you to return. I will never stop waiting. Write to me, please. One word will be a blessing. Henry, will you help me down the stairs? Are you sure that's a good idea? I need to be in the sunshine. I am going to get better. Of course you are. I want to go home. 
As the time approached for my departure to Switzerland, Clerval and I set out on a walking tour around the environs of Ingolstadt as a way of passing the final few days before my journey began. You still walk too fast for me, Victor. Despite your recent ill health. I wish to fill my lungs with as much of this salubrious air as possible. Oh, you do that. I was going to take my boots off for a while and soak my blisters. Who can that be? Victor! Henry! It's Professor Waldman. What does he want? You cannot prevail upon me to stay, Professor. Wait! I am finished with the sciences. You need not have come all the way out here into the hills for me to tell you that. Uh, is everything all right, Professor? We've come out here to get away from the university. We weren't expecting it to be following us. I have grave news. What is it? Victor, your father sent word from Geneva. I'm sorry to be the one to have to inform you, but your brother William has passed away. William? Oh, Victor. How? The circumstances are not entirely clear from your father's brief communication, but it would appear that he has been murdered. Oh, God. That lovely child. Murdered? I must go instantly to Geneva. Professor Walburn, would you be kind enough to allow me to borrow your horse? Take him, huh? I'm sure Mr. Claval will guide me back. Oh, go well, Victor, and convey my deepest sympathies to your father and Elizabeth. Uh, your father's message said that a letter containing more details was to follow. Uh, it should have arrived at your lodgings by the time you return. I arrived back in Ingolstadt and packed my cases. The letter was waiting for me on my table as I did so, but it was not until I had boarded the carriage and left for Geneva that I mustered the courage to open it. Last Thursday, we went to walk in Plan Palais. The evening was warm and serene, and we prolonged our walk further than usual. It was almost dusk when we discovered that William was nowhere to be found. He had gone a little ahead to hide and simply vanished. We waited for him to return, but he did not do so. We searched for hours, I could not rest while my sweet boy was out on the slopes, exposed to the cold and the dew. It was about five in the morning when we discovered him. He was stretched on a patch of grass, livid and motionless. The print of the murderer's finger was on his neck. Oh, my poor sweet brother. Come home. You alone can console Elizabeth. She weeps constantly, believing herself to be the cause of William's death. She had allowed him to wear an expensive miniature of your mother that she possessed. The picture was nowhere to be found on poor William's body, and was doubtless the temptation that urged the murderer to the deed. Come home, my son, and enter our house of mourning. It was completely dark when I arrived in the environs of my home city, and the gates were already shut. I was forced to stay the night at an inn in Secheron, a village half a league away. However, I was too restless to stay in my room. I wouldn't be heading out there far with you, sir. There's a storm approaching. I cannot sleep. We have a selection of very fine ales to ease the passage of the night. If I wanted to get to Plan Palais, how could I do so? Now? Yes, no. You won't be able to go through the town. The gates are closed. I'm aware of that. You'd have to row there across the lake. You have a boat? Yes, although I don't normally hire it out to guests. Name your price. What's so urgent in Plan Palais? I wish to see the spot where my brother was murdered. You're William Frankenstein's brother? Yes. Come with me. There won't be a charge. During the short journey across the water, I saw the lightning playing on the summit of Mont Blanc in the most beautiful figures. The storm approached rapidly, and by the time I was ashore again, I felt the violence of the rain increase with every minute. The thunder echoed from Selev, the Jura, and the Alps of Savoie, 
Vivid flashes dazzled my eyes, illuminating the lake, making it appear like a vast sheet of fire. The tempest, beautiful and terrifying, elevated my spirits, and I cried out into the chasm of the night. Dear mountains! <laughs> How you do welcome your wanderer! William, my angel, this show is for you. This is your funeral. This is your dirge. As I said these words, I perceived in the gloom a figure in the distance. I gazed intently, and a flash of lightning discovered its shape plainly to me. Its gigantic stature and the deformity of its aspect could not be mistaken. God forgive me. The figure appeared again in another flash, this time hanging from the near perpendicular rocks on the ascent to Montsalève. What was the wretch doing there? As soon as the question crossed my imagination, I understood. Nothing in human shape could have destroyed that fair, innocent child. The filthy demon to whom I had given life was the murderer. I collapsed against a tree in horror. No one can conceive the anguish I suffered during the rest of that night. As the day dawned, I directed my steps towards home. Father, my dearest victim. Oh, how I wish you had come three months ago. You would have found us all joyous. Poor William, do not upset yourself. Oh, my tears are nothing more than a brief shower. For Elizabeth, they come in torrents. She will persist with these tormenting self-accusations. Your presence will, I hope, revive her. She is not to blame. One hopes she will accept that, now that the murderer has been discovered. How can that be? Who could attempt to pursue him into the mountains? What do you mean? I saw him. He was free last night. You don't understand, Victor. Justine stands accused. Justine? No one believes it, surely. The evidence is strong, and it will be tested immediately. The magistrate plans to try her today. What? What evidence? The miniature was discovered upon her person. When questioned, her story made no sense. I fear there is little room for doubt. Victor, at last! She ran to my arms. Time had altered her since I last beheld her. It had endowed her with a loveliness surpassing the beauty of her childhood years. We must find some means to help poor Justine. She is innocent, and that shall be proved. All rise! I suffered living torture during the whole of that mockery of justice. Justine appeared calm as the case against her was presented. Only when she looked to where we were seated did a tear seem to dim her eye for a moment. It emerged that she had been absent from our home during the night of the murder. A market woman met her near the scene around the time William must have died and spoke of her seeming confused and agitated. It was confirmed that the miniature discovered on her person was indeed the one that William had worn around his neck. Where were you on the night William Frankenstein was slain? With the family's permission, I spent the evening with an aunt in Shen. On the way home, I met a man who told me that William was missing, so I immediately set out into the hills to look for him. And you searched all night? I returned to the town at nightfall, but found the gates locked. I spent the night in a barn. I did not sleep for worrying about him. This barn was near the location where the body was discovered. I was not aware of that at the time. I met the market woman nearby... I was dizzy through lack of sleep, and I'm sure I did not make much sense. How did you come to be in possession of the miniature? I have no power to explain that. Your Honour, might I be permitted to speak? Silence. Your request is granted. I wish to say what I know of the character of the accused. I have known her, lived in the same house as her for a period of years... In all that time, she has been the most benevolent of human creatures. 
I believe totally in her innocence. The bauble on which the prosecution case largely rests is a trifle. I would willingly have given it to her if she truly desired it. This is a measure of how much I esteem and value her. <laughs> Elizabeth's simple and powerful appeal got short shrift from the public gallery. They now added a charge of deepest ingratitude to Justine's litany of sin. Justine Moritz, you are found guilty of the murder of William Frankenstein. You are condemned to die by the sword. No, please, no! This cannot happen! Justine was decapitated on the scaffold as a murderess. Elizabeth claimed the body and arranged for a decent burial. I watched her tend Justine's grave and that of poor William with a deep and voiceless grief. The first hapless victims of my unhallowed arts. I could not rest. Sleep fled from my eyes and I wondered like an evil spirit. All was blasted and solitude became my only consolation. Sit down, Victor. I have called you to my study because this brooding cannot endure. I feel a weight upon me, Father. It is our duty as survivors not to burden the dead further through a showing of immoderate grief. I do not believe the dead have an opinion. If you have no regard for burdening the dead, then think about the burden on the living. In your present state, you are not a man fit for society, let alone one to lead this family out of the wilderness. If only it were so simple. Where do you go at night? What? You don't sleep. Your bed is hardly ever disturbed. I look for you around the house and you are nowhere to be seen. I'm on the lake. The lake? I take a boat out and drift. I cannot bear the society of men. On the lake I sometimes find peace. I pass many hours on the water. Sometimes, after rowing to the middle, I left the boat to pursue its own course and gave way to my own miserable reflections. Once, I plunged overboard that the waters might close over me and my calamities forever. Then I thought of Elizabeth, heroic and suffering, of how tenderly I loved her and of her existence bound up together with mine. I used to look upon accounts of injustice as imaginary evils that had no connection to my life. Now misery has come home, and men appear to me as monsters, thirsting after each other's blood. We must try to have hope. Justine was innocent. I know it. I feel it. And you feel it too, and that confirms me. I know she was innocent. William and Justine were assassinated, and the murderer escapes. He walks about the world free. What hope is there? He will be caught. He will suffer for what he has done. I will torture him with my own hands. Believe this, my love. His torment will be everlasting. Calm yourself, Victor. Banish these dark passions. He's with me, Elizabeth. At every waking moment, the demon lurks in my heart. I have made you melancholy. No, it's not you. It would gladden my heart to see you restored, Victor. I think it would make it easier for me to climb out of the pit of despair if I had your path to follow. I've been thinking. I shall go into the mountains for a while. The exercise will do me good and the scenery always lifts my spirits. Would you like a companion? I must go alone. But when I return, I shall be better. You will not have to climb out of the pit, Elizabeth. I will lift you out. I spent many weeks walking. I was determined to change my gloomy outlook. I plunged into the ravine of Arve. Immense mountains and precipices overhung me on every side. The sound of the river raging on the rocks and the dashing of the waterfalls spoke of a power mighty as omnipotence 
and I ceased to fear. I ascended higher. Ruined castles hung on the cliffs of Pyrenee Mountains. I climbed to the summit of Montanvert and then descended on to the ever-moving glacier, the sight of which, awful and majestic as it was, gave wings to my soul. My heart, which was sorrowful before, now swelled with something like rapture. And then I saw it. Dear Lord, my end has come. Hell opened up to me at that moment. From across the ice, I saw the enormous figure of a man advancing towards me at superhuman speed. Like a boss, this goes off. 